like, thanks, Mom. And then my dad was like, are you sure? Like, he's like, why do you have self-pity? And I'm like, it's okay, Dad. I'll bring you up to speed about my life later. It's fine. Um, so... Uh, worship was really awesome, guys. That was, like, so perfect. I wouldn't And it was just so God. It's okay, Elijah. It was amazing. It was really good. And it sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about tonight. So... Sorry. Are we good? <laughs> so we're talking about self-pity today, which is, like... I feel like I always get really heavy subjects to teach about, but I'm perfect to do it because I, like, bring truth and I smile, so it's all right. Um, (laughs) So if someone wants to actually turn to, uh, actually, we'll turn to Ephesians 6.12 first, and then I'll pray to set the stage because I'm just jumping ahead of myself. Ephesians 6.12, please. Wow. Dang it. I have, like, a Bible, like, that's this big. It's crazy. Like two inches big, it's amazing. I got you. You want me to do it? Yes, please. Go ahead. Um, for our struggle mm-hmm, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the, this darkness, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Keep going. Very good. Thanks. Um, so I'm going to pray first. Dad, I am just so grateful for you. I'm just so grateful for worship that we just had, just being reminded of your goodness and that you are a big God. And there are so many things that we can do to praise and worship you each and every moment of our day. And so I just pray for myself that you would, you know, we've been talking about this week that I'm afraid that I'm going to keep everybody here for like four hours. (laughs) But we're going to pray against that, that you know exactly what needs to be said today. And I just pray that you would just use me and use what you've taught me to help bring other people to freedom. And right now I just bind up that spirit of self-pity that hides in the, the crevices of our, our temples. And I'm just shining the light on it and I'm pinning it down. And I say, you have to be silent right now in the name of Jesus. Ooh. I pray against any accusation right now that would spring up against me as I'm bringing truth. It's just self-pity. Don't worry about it. Um, and Dad, I'm just so excited. So like, just come and lead me. That's it. Amen. (laughs) So I wanted to start with Ephesians 6.12 because separation is key. My wonderful husband taught about that a few weeks ago. But, like, we can't talk about self-pity without first understanding who our battle is with. Our battle is not with ourselves. Our battle is not with other people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual wickedness in high places. It's against powers of darkness in this world. It's against spirits. So when someone does something to you, or when you do something that's kind of not that great, it's not you. It's the spirit manifesting through you. And that's so great because that means we can receive hard truth and be convicted and not condemned. Because we can be like, oh, that's just I just allowed someone to manifest through me. But it wasn't me that had the original thought. It's so good. So I kind of felt like I needed to do a disclaimer. Because there's going to be like a lot of hard truth. Because self-pity has to be completely pinned down has to be completely pointed out in a blunt manner. There's no dancing around it. And you have to do that in love. So I'm probably going to do that, and it's probably going to hurt a little bit. And you might, like, have the thought of, like, why is she saying that? She's thinking about me. I'm not thinking about you. All these things I'm talking about have, like, things I've heard, things that I've done, things that I've manifested and lived out. So these are me just sharing what I've learned. So please do not think that I'm calling anybody out individually. I'm calling out the spirit of self-pity because it's awful and it's gross and I hate it. I really do. 
I don't hate things. I hate self-pity. Like, I don't, I don't use that word unless I really mean it, and self-pity is reserved for that word. So I'm going to define it first. Self-pity is a self-indulgent dwelling on one's own sorrows and misfortunes. So dwelling means actively sitting, actively residing, actively participating in. It's like rehashing and rehashing, like you are choosing to sit. Like I think of pigs in the pigsty. They're just sitting and wallowing and getting dirtier and dirtier. I'm going to really, like this is self-pity. It is the self-indulgent dwelling on one's own sorrows and misfortunes. <sighs> it's gross. It really is. Um, the ultimate goal of self-pity is to have you forever sitting dormant, dwelling on your past in order to render you useless in the kingdom. Because if you are so busy and consumed sitting, you're never going to move forward. You're never going to grow. You're never going to be able to help other people. You'll just be exactly where you were, and that's exactly where the enemy wants you. Nowhere. He just wants you stuck. Okay? Let's see. I have some quotes <laughs> about self-pity. Matt talked about this last week, how much I love quotes, and they're everywhere in the house. And they're really helpful for me because it... Having another person's perspective sometimes shines light. Okay? So we've heard about self-pity being the self-indulgent dwelling. We're going to hear a few other people's perspectives on it and why it is so detrimental to any part of growth in our lives. So Jason Versey says, Self-pity is the sworn enemy of your ambition. It is the number one killer of your aspirations and goals. Give it a foothold in your life, and you will chase away every dream dreamt and every friend befriended. Sworn enemy of your ambition. So if you're in self-pity, you're not going to achieve your dreams. They're going to chase away. They really, you will chase away. Henry Wright, that guy, is the one I actually heard my first self-pity teaching on. It's so good. I have it in several forms. <laughs> like my old iPod video. Wow. Yeah. Oh my it's so good. I have saved that thing. <laughs> it has so much truth in it. Henry Wright says, self-pity is the super glue of hell that binds you to the past. You cannot move forward. It's super glue. So when I was in art school, I once super glued my fingers together with Gorilla Glue. Why? I won't. I, I don't know. It just didn't work. And I before I thought, I was like, let me spread this with my fingers. <laughs> that's, that's what, that's <laughs> it was it was so bad. But that, like, the strength, you guys got to think. Like, self-pity is something that we think is, like, no big deal. Like, oh, I'm just going to, like, wallow for a little bit. No big deal. But a, partis- a continual participation with it makes it stronger. So that all of a sudden... Not all of a sudden, but over time, you are unable to move forward from your past because you are there. Your perspective has completely shifted from any sort of present, any sort of future, and you are completely focused on the past and how you were wronged and how you were the victim, and you cannot move forward. If you do not deal with self-pity, you will not move forward. You, You are unable to do that. So the last quote about defining... There's quotes everywhere in this teaching. There's everywhere. Um, I'm going to read you the quote first, and then I'm going to show you who said it. Self-pity is our worst enemy, 
If we yield to it, we can never do anything wise in this world. Helen Keller said that. Wow. Just think about that. Yeah. <laughs> like that's like when me me complaining about my Chipotle falling to the ground when I tried to grab it out of the fridge has no that was the worst day, but it really wasn't. <laughs> that would be the worst day. That's a struggle. That's like so that's what I think is a bad day. And I'm going to let that overrun everything. Helen Keller overcame everything. And she says that it is the worst enemy. Perspective is important. What we think is bad is not bad. How we intake it is what it makes it bad or good. Life is 10% circumstances. 90% how we respond to them. Self-pity and pessimism are the same thing. Self-pity and cynicism are the same thing. It is expecting the bad. It is not giving God room in your life to change your mind. It is not giving him the room to have faith and hope into your life. You automatically throw hope out the window when you are in self-pity and you're automatically cynical. Okay? You just It squeezes joy out of every situation. So... <laughs> You won't find self-pity in the Bible, but you'll find examples of it manifesting in the Bible. So I have four stories to share with you guys of great, the great prophets messing things up and giving us examples. Um, so if someone wants to go to Numbers 11, 13 through 15, someone else, is someone doing that? Whoa, whoa. Yeah. I do it. So you got numbers. I you have numbers. 11, 13 through 15. Can someone take Job 3, verse 11? Noah's got Job? Whoa, Elijah called that. Oh, Elijah. I'm sorry. I didn't see you. Someone take it. It's Job 3, verse 11. Can someone take 1 Kings 19, verse 1 through 4? I got it. Awesome. 1 Kings... 19, verse 1 through 4. And someone take Jonah. There he is. Chapter 4, verse 5 through 11. That's my dude. (laughs) I know. This is what's hilarious. Chapter 4, verse... 5 through 11. Okay. So this is really the funny thing about self-pity. When we see it in other people, we're like, oh, that's gross. They just need to get their life together. They just need to stop complaining. But then... We do it the same way. Like, they mirror us a lot of the time. And so this is what I love about this. These are strong, godly people. And they, like, they're wallowing. And it's awesome. Because it gives us the ability to figure out why and how to get out of it. All right, so, Ariel, could you read Numbers 11, 13 through 15 for me? When should I have flesh to give unto all these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Moses going to God and saying, These people you gave me, all they want is meat, meat, meat. 
They don't like manna anymore. They just want meat. They just, day and night, they're just bothering me. If this is the life you have planned for me, just take me. Just kill me. Because I cannot handle it. So self-pity tells you the lie that you are incapable of taking care of something. And you say that this is too heavy for me. Because it, it takes God out of the situation. Because God's word says that I can overcome everything. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And greater is he is an old man. That is awesome. <laughs> I know, right? I have to do it. <laughs> I never went to a concert, but that's okay. Um, so it says that you are unable, that it's too heavy, and that God did a mistake by keeping you alive and keeping you in this situation. So it accuses God and his goodness and his leadership in your life. All right. Who has Job 3, verse 11? Elijah. Can you read that, please? Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came to the womb? So, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's wow. Job being like, it is better that I would have died in childbirth. Like, I, it was better that I would have not been born at all than to be born into this life, God. You messed up. That's what that's saying. That's self-pity. That's self-pity. Accusing God, saying he messed up, he doesn't know what's best. Okay. 1 Kings 19, 1-4. Okay. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So literally the day before that, he executed all those people. And he had this amazing experience with God overcoming, like, all of that. And the next day, he's like, God, I'm just going to curl up under this tree and just take me. Like, like I can't live this life. I can't live this life. But that's how quickly self-pity works. It comes after a victory to steal the thankfulness that we should be giving God and to say, our life stinks. It comes specifically at that because we should be grateful and we should be thankful when God does those works through us. But self-pity is like, nope, I'm going to steal it. And we are so easy. We are so easy because circumstances define our happiness Mm -hmm. rather than God. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. But we we let the emotions in. We let them control us Mm -hmm. when we can control them. Mm -hmm. We can. All right, so, Jonah. I love him. He is so petty. I love it. No, he really is. It's such a good teaching moment. Yeah. Okay, so you said 4, 5 through 11, right? Yes. 5 through 11. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head. To ease his discomfort. (laughs) And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed up the vine so that it withered. (laughs) When the sun rose, God provided provided a scorching east wind. (laughs) God is so petty. I love it. Provided an east wind. Um, 
Eastwood and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this that great city? God. The Lord is petty, but he's so good. I <laughs> love that story because we all... I wish you read that story. <laughs> you were the perfect person to read yeah. that story, too. Yeah. I, I love it. So, what's that saying? We, we all know the story of Jonah, and we all know how Jonah was, like, totally not wanting the best thing for Nineveh. Like, he had his expected end for Nineveh, and God was like, no, I'm going to do this instead. So we have that attitude problem already. But this is the thing. He is arguing with God about what is better. And he is getting so worked up about a plant. A plant. A plant. (laughs) And he even, God's like, is it really that big of a deal? And Jonah's like, yes. That is what self-pity does. It takes the smallest thing and makes it worth sacrificing an entire city over, okay? This thing is just totally worth my time and my attention and my anger when these people are not. That is what it's saying. Because self-pity wants to distract you from doing the kingdom's work. And it will use anything. Like he was plotting and waiting for the destruction of them. Like he sat down and God was like, I got something for you. <laughs> Provided the east wind. And this is... <laughs> this is what I love too because God does not mess around with self-pity. He was calling it out in Jonah. And what I love about these stories too is these people were having one-on-one conversations with God about it. A lot of the times in self-pity, we stew, and we don't ever vocalize it. Or we vocalize it to other people and paint ourselves as the victim of the circumstances, of the victim of events, and that we can't do anything about it. And then we haven't even talked to God about it. Or we go get prayer, and we haven't even prayed to God about it. And we say, oh, well, we'll just see what God does. Like, we'll just see what God does. Bless God. He's great. He's got my day covered. And we haven't even gone to God about it. You know, you know the reason why? Self-pity has no plan to deal with it. Self-pity has no plan in the works to do anything about it. They are perfectly content to sit and rehash and rehash and rehash. Because that's taking up all the sweet time that we have on the world. It's taking up the time. It really is. So that is the introduction to self-pity in the Bible, guys. It's there. You just won't see the word self-pity. But you can see how people get influenced by it and how it really just throws them off. And God's like, all right, guys, we got to get you smacked back with truth to get you back on the path. And it's possible, which is so great, because Moses did amazing things for God. Elijah did amazing things for God. God used Jonah despite all of his kicking and screaming. Like, that's so cool that no matter what, when we veer off, we can veer back. And God's like, all right, let's pick it back up. You done? And he's like, no, God. He's like, great, let's move on. Like, let's move on. Let's go on. So self-pity is really interesting. 
because it actually is the most destructive non-pharmaceutical drug that you become addicted to. The same effects that you have, I know. Oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> say that again. I will say that again. So self-pity is the most destructive non-pharmaceutical drug that you can become addicted to. Okay, all right, that makes sense. You can create an addictive habit pattern of self-pity that has the same emotional debilitating effects that addictions have because you get a high. There is a very strange uh, sliminess that happens when you are in self-pity because you feel validated. You feel like you are totally okay to sit and wallow because this and this and this and this happened to you. So I can sit, I can dwell, and I can sit here because it's okay. It's okay. And you get the high. And you get, when when it's gone, you have to do it again. And it creates a very, very... Uh, it's just like claws, okay? Or like octopus tentacles. It just slowly wraps itself around. Yeah. And you cannot pull it off the more that you have it happen. So um, I am a recovering self-pity addict. Hello, my name is Savannah. <laughs> I have to lighten it up a little bit. Um, and I can attest to that high. I can attest to that strong sense of I need to do it again. And this is my sense of false comfort because this is the way I get attention. This is the way people look at me. This is the only way people will care for me and pray for me and have relationships. If I didn't have anything bad to talk about, no one would talk to me. So I need to go to them and I need to tell them all the things I'm struggling with so they can hug me they can take care of me, and then I can go on my merry way and not talk to God about it. Okay? So I have I have a quote here, and it's so good because I found a quote with someone who dealt with it the same way I did, and I was like, yes, good. So this guy has a really awesome name. His name is Eckhart Tolle. I don't know. I've never heard of him before. But he says regarding self-pity and its cycle, I did not want it to end. And so as every therapist knows, the ego, or self-pity, does not want an end to its problems because they are part of its identity. If no one will listen to my sad story, I can tell it to myself in my head over and over and feel sorry for myself and so have an identity as someone who is beating being treated unfairly by life, other people, fate, or God. It gives definition to my self-image and makes me into someone that is all, and makes me into someone, someone that is suffering. And that is all that matters to the ego. It's all that matters. You create an identity of your suffering. Mm. You're suffering so well. And if you, like, I tell you guys, when, when I was in the throes of this stuff, I was terrified to not be in self-pity because what was I going to think about? What was I going to interact with people about? Because those were my entire interactions. It was all about how I was 
a victim of my circumstances, a victim of other people's abuse, a victim of just God, okay? I had accused him to the highest level, and I did not want to let it go because who was I without that identity, okay? That's how powerful this stuff is. It's more than just my Chipotle bowl falling out of the fridge and me being like, dang it, like, I'm going to tell five people about this now. But why do we have that need to share when bad things happen to us? Why? Why is it when you go to someone and you ask, how are you doing today? Well, let me tell you about the worst day I've had in my life. It started and someone cut me off. And then my order was wrong at Starbucks. They spelled my name wrong too. And then I had to call my mom. I had to call my grandmother. I had to talk to people I didn't want to deal with. Someone looked at me the wrong way, and my life just stinks. It's just better that I would die than do this kind of day again. Guys, why does Monday get a bad rap? Okay? Why is it's a Monday? We automatically expect something bad to happen on Mondays. So what's going to happen? Something bad on Monday. Or you say... How was your day? It was all right for a Monday. That discounts any good that happened in that day. Okay? So self-pity provides this <coughs> false comfort, the self-soothing nature of self-pity. You're petting yourself. Good job, Savannah. You survived another day. Hopefully you can make it tomorrow. I hope so. Maybe. God knows. Maybe I won't wake up tomorrow. That might be good. No, no. Like, okay, this is how it switches. Because self-pity's ultimate goal is to render you useless. What is the ultimate uselessness as you taking your life, okay? You deciding to give up all hope. That's where it's leading. That's where an active participation of self-pity gets you. It takes you there. And it gets you to isolation. But what's really funny... And this is where my testimony will come into play. Is it, t- it Self-pity will get you in isolation, but it will have you emerge every so often and show your sorry self. <laughs> Especially at church. Oh, Lord. I don't know how I'm going to make it today, but I know Wednesday nights there's a prayer group that meets. I guess I'll drag myself over there. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'll make it through, and I'll stand in the front so everyone can see that I made it, that I'm here. And then I'm going to wait to get prayed for. I'm going to list all the things that I'm dealing with. And I'll go home. And I won't do anything. And I'll go back next week. And I'll go back the week after that. It creates this cycle of hopelessness. But you're letting people see what you're dealing with. You're very vocal about it. There's so much thought in it. And you know what it is? Is You are manipulating people. You're manipulating them to... Um, the definition, another definition of self-pity is unapplauded pride. So self-pity believes... Another definition of self-pity is unapplauded pride. Um, what self-pity is looking for is it believes because of what you have experienced, what you are a victim of, you are deserving of the same amount of condolences that are given at a funeral. Mm -hmm. Except you're alive. Mm -hmm. 
Okay? It wants that same sort of attention. But if you do not give it that attention, it is not a happy camper. It doesn't look like a victim anymore at that point. Looks a lot different. All right. <laughs> and it's not good. So, um. Now that's witchcraft. Yeah, it's not good. So, my testimony about self pity, um, is crazy. And I'm actually kind of nervous to share because it's really, it, nobody wants to admit when they have self pity. Everybody's like, I'm good. I'm a happy person. I'm a happy person. Everybody's like, I've got anger issues. I've got this. But when you say self-pity, people go quiet. Mm. I'm just complaining because I'm validated. No problem. I'm justified in that. Everybody's allowed to say when bad things happen. All right. So I got a little sidetracked because I don't want to talk about myself. Um, Dad, give me the words. So uh, in all earthly perspectives, I had every right to complain, okay, growing up. I grew up with extreme health problems, a very faulty immune system. I was sick every week, something different. I could only eat three of the same meal every day, so I had the same thing every day. I had a very highly restrictive diet. Um, I was constantly nauseous and afraid I was going to throw up every single moment of the day. I had parasites, I had Lyme disease, I had mold infection. I had everything under the sun that you could have. But I was undiagnosable by doctors. Yeah. Undiagnosable. So, 10 years of my life was this reality. 10 years of this. And I grew up in a church that said, God made me sick. So I had no identity of who God was. Sorry, what? Yeah. What? They didn't so I'm not going to spend time on that because we're not focusing on that. We're fo- So what I'm saying is I grew up in an environment where God was the one who chose who suffered. Yeah. And you could suffer well. Yeah. But only a few people were chosen. And if it was you, very good. You could pray. Well, pray, but you're going to be going to every single doctor too. Because you got to get healed. Right? That's the hypocrisy of it all. So my identity growing up, I grew up in this church. Grew up in three families of churches like this, okay? They were building that identity in me. They were placating the self-pity. So I was this sick girl, okay? So then I want to I highlight my participation with this. So, like, God's done amazing work in my life. I'm healed, completely healed. Yeah. I can eat whatever. I can do whatever. Totally awesome. Great. Amen. Not there. God is good. He is my father. He did not give that. That was the result of generational junk. But... Self-pity came in, and I participated with it. He presented the opportunity for me and the lie that the only reason people liked me was because I was sick. And if I was well, no one would ever look at me. Okay? That was the lie. And so, you'll find me Sunday morning getting prayed for tears. Front row, tears, every single Sunday. People being like, you're so joyful for being so sick. And I'm like, I know, right? God is good. Let me go to the doctor tomorrow. Let me try this homeopathic medicine. Let me go to a chiropractor. Let me try everything to get healed. But God is good. God is good. So good. I think, except for that thing where I don't like him very much. No. Self-pity took me to a place... And this is so crazy about last week where I got to pray for Linda. 
for her brother. That was so cool. Um, because my prayers were at night. I couldn't sleep because I had insomnia. I had hallucinations. I couldn't sleep. Um, I prayed, Dad, if this... I didn't even know him. I just said, God, Father, Holy One up there, if this is the life you had planned for me, just take me because I can't do this. I'm seven. I'm seven, guys, okay? This was my reality. And then I was like, all right, well, if this is my life, I'm going to play the role. I'm going to be the best victim there ever was. And I was there. So... <laughs> uh, it's gross so what I ended up doing which I'm super ashamed about but I don't you know God's, God's so good because as soon as I got this knowledge I took care of it I manipulated people by using sickness so yeah I had these diagnosable things but sometimes I'd be sitting in a room maybe like this and I would have a thought and that thought would be like I feel ignored. I feel overlooked. Tears. People being, oh, are you okay? I said, I don't know. I think we need to pray for me now. Okay? Everything gets focused on me. Everything. Nothing gets focused on anybody else. Okay? Every Sunday, anointed with oil. Also, it's really confusing being prayed for by someone who's told you that God's made you sick and they're praying for healing. You're like, I'm not quite sure what you want from me. Like, that just doesn't work. That's double-mindedness. But I'm saying I participated with that self-pity because I felt like I was deserving of it. I was validated. My life was miserable. I had no hope. I had no joy. I pretended like I had joy because I was supposed to be playing the good little sufferer. Okay? I had to play the part, but I was miserable. And I, was, I had no identity in God. I didn't know who he was. I didn't feel loved by my family, even though that was probably there, okay? You can't see what's around you when you're consumed with self-pity. I remember I would make a show. I would go to a family's house to sleep over, and I would have one bag of all of my medicine. I didn't need to take all of it. But I would have one bag of my medicine and one bag of all my special food. And that's how I would enter a house. I'm 12. Okay? That's how I lived my life. Let me put on the show for you. And they're like, oh, will you be okay? I'm like, maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> I played it up. Because that was the only way I knew how to get attention and how to be, have relationship with people. But you know what? That made it worse. So when I went down to be in health several years ago, <laughs> I went up to this lady and I was like, lady, you don't know about my life. Yeah. <laughs> it was the worst thing and the best thing to do to someone up down there because they know how to discern just right to it. <laughs> so there's thousands, not thousands, but there are hundreds of examples of me playing that role and inviting pain into my life because... Pain equals attention. Tears equal attention. If I play the role, people will take, look at me and I'll feel loved. But when they look away, I need it again. Because I've got that void. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. That's, the, that's where the habits form. That's where that high comes from. And then the void. And it gets worse and worse every time you do it. Okay? 
so I had this light bulb moment where I went to this lady and I was complaining to her about a situation in my life of, with an individual and I was like, if they could just get their act together, I would be good. And then this and like, I'm still dealing with like ways of thinking that you know, self-pity makes you sound very Christianese. You say all the right things. You say all the right things, but you don't mean any of them. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, look, I hate Facebook time hop. Because, or whatever, because it pulls up, it pulls, but then it's also good because it reminds me of how far I've come. Yeah. So it pulls up and I'm like, dang, Savannah, that was, why, why did you speak that? But I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be heard. I had to be heard. Everything that you would have had a conversation with me would have turned to, well, one time I was doing this and then this happened. And, oh my gosh. I know, right? Yeah. I'm doing so well. I'm not happy, but I'm doing well. Yeah. Um, so I had this, so I went to this person, and this is how I just kind of learned how to interact with people. So I went to a, bit, a leader, and I was talking to her, and I was just like, oh, like this thing. And she looked at me, and she said, you just need to stop being a victim of that person and move on. And she walked away. Oh. <laughs> and I sat there, and I was like, <laughs> Nobody had ever called me out and told me that I could actually overcome and told me that I actually didn't have to. And what's amazing, and this lady called me out several times that week, one time in front of everyone. It was crazy. It was awesome. <laughs> it was one of the best things ever because it was an open mic. You guys remember those where the mic's up front and everybody's watching and there's like a panel and you're like, this is my moment to shine and tell everybody how cool I am and how godly I am and how I'm overcoming so much. And so I went up there and I was like, I don't even remember what I say. Thank goodness. I don't remember that. But I remember the same lady. I know he's, he's grateful. He's so, he's so thankful that I'm where I'm at now. Me too. Thanks dad. Um, so I went up there, and I grabbed a mic, and I was talking about something, and it was self-pity, totally all the way, and like tears, just like normal. That's what happened. Automatic tears. Yes. Wouldn't even tell you. I, I had been so trained by my emotions that when I cried, I thought something was wrong. Hmm. Self-pity will turn on the waterworks, and you're like, oh, I guess I'm sad. Yeah. Or I guess something. I need to be prayed for. Like, altar calls, tears. I guess I should go get prayer. It controls you. So, I stood up there, and I was like, here's my situation, I'm stuck, bleh, you know, just, <laughs> it's vomit, it's vomit, it's so gross, and the lady grabbed the microphone, she said, you just need to stop being in self-pity, I'm in front of, <laughs> thankfully it was like being held, so there's only like 50 people in the audience, but still, she says, she did not, you know, self-pity wants to hear, poor me, why don't you pray about it, and I'll pray for you. And we'll lay hands on you after this. And we'll give you that special time and attention that you are needed. She was like, you just need to stop being in self-pity about it and get on with your life. Oh. In front of everybody. Oh. Tears stopped, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thought was, how dare she? Oh, no. And that's when I experienced the change in self-pity. So I'm just saying, that moment was when the lights came on and I realized what I was doing. And then several years later, God showed me what happened in all that sickness and in all that junk is the 
hope deferred makes them heart sick. There are so many scriptures about that. When you don't have hope, your body just falls apart. And I have knowledge now, and I know what happened. And I'm not going to go into self-pity about 10 years of my life lost. I could. I'm validated. But my mentality now is that it already took 10 years. How dare I take it? I'm not going to give it any more. I'm not going to give it any more of my time. Because I don't have to anymore. Because I know better. So we need to get that righteous anger stirred up for when it steals the time of our lives that God is supposed to be using for good and for hope and for restoring other people. We need to get mad and say, I love myself too much to let myself go down this road. I love this person more to let them go down this road. I will call them out in love. Okay? I'm so excited about this. So... I feel really released actually sharing that because, like, it's really a, a not a fun moment when God <coughs> reveals to you that, like, you are manipulating everybody in your life and, like, out of a really gross place. Mm-hmm. And, like, you were sick more because of that place, mm-hmm. because of you wanting that and thinking of that. But then he was like, but now you're good, so don't worry about it. <laughs> and just work on not manipulating anybody else out of true love for them. So, like, it, I like to synopsis my testimony. It was real bad, and now it's good. <laughs> it's real bad, and now it's good. But the good takes practice. I tell you what, I was dealing with self-pity yesterday. <laughs> and I tell you what, I was dealing with it the week after because it was such an ingrained pattern of thought. I have to fight for it. It's not a one-and-done prayer. Mm-hmm. And you can't go to another person and say, I need you to pray against self-pity for me. You have to do it yourself. Self-pity is not something that you pray to be released from. Self-pity is something you actively walk out. And you say, God, let's do it. you got to get off your butt. That's the only way to defeat self-pity. Because what it wants for you is to sit. I want other people to do it for me. I am a victim of my circumstances, and they just need to circumstances need to change, people need to change, the stars need to align, and then I'll be okay. That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And if you're waiting for that to happen, you're just going to sit there for years. Trust me. I was there. (laughs) Ten years, guys. Ten years. No more. No more. So, self-pity affects community. And I kind of explained how I was interacting within my church community. Doesn't make It doesn't even matter that they were a little wonky and they didn't really know God. That's okay. We don't need to go there. But it sabotages your life, your relationships, and ruins any authentic kingdom living that could happen within the community. Because you're not really talking to me when I'm in self-pity. You're talking to self-pity. And I'm not really trying to love on you and become a friend. I'm waiting for you to placate me. I'm waiting for you to say self Self, oh my gosh, that's horrible. If you don't say that, then I'm like, man, she's dead to me. Like, self-pity gives ultimatums. If, if you do what I want you to do, we're good. But as soon as you don't do the thing or you don't show up, let me just explain to you how I feel about you. Do you even love me? Did you ever care? How dare you not be there for me? I thought you were my friend. Well, I'm never going to see you again. Those ultimatums, that's not God's love. That's self-pity because it didn't get what it wanted. Yeah. And it's going to make the other person feel as bad as possible until they cave and give it what it wants. <clears throat> that's how gross it is. 
it will manipulate relationships that are not real because it's all dependent on if they treat you well. It has nothing to do with if you're treating them well because psh, why should I care about other people? I'm dealing with all this stuff. Left and right now for Azu, people just need to bend to me because I am God. It makes you God. So it sabotages. You can't have community if people are in self-pity because it just causes so much division because I'm upset at Matt and Matt's upset at me, and we're both sitting in self-pity, wallowing, and we're not talking to each other. And we're sitting in opposite corners. Our faces are so down, okay? You can see it. You can see self-pity walk in, because they'll slink in. <laughs> this is a padded chair, so that's okay. <laughs> it, you, it's hiding in the corner. I'm here, but I'm and then I'll go home, and I'll come back next week. And I'll see if I can make it next week. I don't know if I'm feeling up to it. It's a week away, but I just don't know if I'll be able to make it. It projects into the future that nothing good will happen. So why even try? Why? It's not worth it. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. Self-pity says, I will never change. You need to change in order for me to do well. Self-pity is unable to take any form of responsibility for itself, its actions, or life. It's all dependent on others. Because when you do that, you're off the hook. You don't have to do anything. It's awesome. But then it's not. (laughs) Because you're in torment. It's horrible. Because you are just getting hit left and right by life because you just do not think you can stand on your own two feet. So if we have the expectation that we can't do anything about life, life is just going to hit and we're not going to respond well and we're not going to remember that God is with us and we're just going to fold. We're easy, guys. We are so easy because something. anytime we experience resistance, we think, oh gosh, it's not for me. I don't, I can't do it. Like, <laughs> it's awful. How do you get stronger when you exercise? You build up the resistance. It's hard. It's not fun. Nobody, like, only, only psychos love to work out, okay? <laughs> I know. I have to share that now. I went to a cycling class this morning for an hour, 45 minutes of cycling. I hate cardio, but people are like, let's go, it's 10 bucks, let's do it. And I'm like, I'm going to come dang last, I just know it. I got there, and my teacher said, hey guys, last year I was bald and I was getting chemo. This year I'm here with you, and we're celebrating, and we're getting stronger. She whipped us all. (laughs) And she was saying, don't let the past define your future. How amazing is that? And I was like, great, I feel like I'm dying, but we'll just keep going. And one step after the other, and one step after the other. And God was saying, as my heart was pounding on my chest, he's like, you were made for this. Your body can take this. You're going to be so much stronger after this. You're building that endurance. Your heart can take it. Don't freak out. But you have to build up that endurance. We were designed to grow. And growth only happens when you experience resistance. So instead of experiencing something and then folding, we should be like, this is an opportunity to come out better. 
when someone looks at you the wrong way or treats you badly in a grocery store or whatever, like, this is an opportunity for me to show God's love to them. Unconditional love. Okay? When your Chipotle falls. This is an opportunity for me to not let something as trivial as a burrito take my peace and take my joy. <laughs> you, I freaking love burritos. Yeah. You guys, Chipotle catered our wedding. Like, Chipotle is life. <laughs> so it is a real struggle when that happens. I can't believe I'm bringing up that story so many times. But I'm saying, like, we have to work. And God designed us to grow and to become warriors and to be generals in his army. How do you get there? He's not going to want something wimpy. He's not going to want someone that runs at the first sight of something difficult. He's going to want something that no matter what, I'm going to do it. Because your word is with me. I have you. Awesome. Let's go. So in community, we can build each other up. But this is what happens when we let self-pity come in. I have another quote by Anne-Marie Aguilar. When we pity ourselves, all we see is ourselves. When we have problems, all we see are our problems. And that's what we love talking about. That's all we talk about. We don't see the good things in our life. So when self-pity is rampant in community, we are just going to have conversations filled with self-pity and placating self-pity. Nothing good will come. Nothing good will come of that, except self-pity having a heyday. He just sits back and let us do the work for him. Okay. So we need to unite as a community against self-pity and create a culture that says no. I'm not saying that we don't ever share when we're struggling with things because that's good, but we need to get up and move on after that because God's word says we can. Mm -hmm. He has given us power and authority to come out of everything. When we sit in self-pity, what we're saying is Jesus didn't do enough on the cross for us. We're saying Jesus dying on the cross was not good enough to handle this situation or our lives. So we're saying he really should just go and try again. When we're sitting in it, okay? So as a community, <laughs> I told you. Well, it's going to take a lap before on that one. <laughs> no, that was good. That was Please good. tell me there's a happy ending to all this. Yeah. yeah the happy thing, you know what the happy thing is? Is we don't have to be in self-pity. Yay! But I'm, okay. I'm exposing it to you guys. I'm exposing it because it is so ingrained in our ways of thinking, speaking, and acting that we've made it something that is okay and normal, and it's not. Okay? So you have to know who you're fighting to be able to fight. And self-pity has flown under the radar for too many years and generations. And if we stop it now, we stop it now. That's awesome. Like, I am so grateful that whenever I have kids, they will not be born into a mindset of victimhood. Thank the Lord for that, okay? I'm so grateful that I'm no longer viewing myself as a victim. I still get tempted, but I don't do it anymore. And if I fold, I fold back. And it's getting less and less. It's a practice thing. And I'm so excited to share this with you guys because once you get a taste for defeating self-pity, it gets good. It gets good because... You have, the word of God gives us, we have power, love, and a sound mind. Self-pity robs us of all three. It does. Because it takes away our power. 
We're double-minded because we're saying God is good, but also, (coughs) here's the situation. Mm -hmm. And love. We don't Mm -hmm. feel loved. We don't feel safe. So let's unite and let's grow strong together. Let's encourage each other. Self-pity has no place here. None. Okay. So, if someone wants to go to James 1, 2 through 4, I'm going to try to speed up here because I'm slowing things down. Try to get everybody out of here. James 1, 2 through 4. So how do we handle life? What does the word say? I got it. Go, babe. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I love this verse, because this verse used to be such like a horrible verse for me, because it was like, count it all joy when you experience trials. Because God wants you to suffer. That's not what this is saying at all. Context is amazing. I love it. It is saying faith works patience. When you go through a trial, like trial runs for Olympics, they're testing themselves. They're trying to beat their next, like their personal best. (coughs) Reach the next goal. So it's you're growing. You're getting better. So when you have an opportunity, you get behind the opportunity and you grow. Hopefully you beat your goal. Maybe next time you'll get even better. Like, that is how this is happening. So count it joy because, like, you have opportunity to overcome. That's what that means. And the overcoming will produce this. It'll produce faith. It'll produce patience. You'll get stronger. You'll get better at dealing with people. You'll get better at dealing with yourselves. Like, this is so cool. And this is how we can interact with one another. Instead of coming, you know with our problems and being like, I just need you guys to pray for this situation. I need you to come alongside me and help me agree that this is a situation I'm overcoming. Mm -hmm. There's a whole different way of thinking and speaking about stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that include God? Like, you're empowered. Like, God's word has given me this life and this authority, and I've got it. I'm learning how to do it. got training wheels on, but I can do it. Like, it's a little wobbly. Because, like, we, we experience situations that are new for us every day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't handle them well. But that's okay. Because we can, we can say, whoops, and get on. Mm-hmm. But self-pity won't have us get on. It'll have us sit. So it's so important. So um, if someone actually wants to turn to Philippians 4... Verse 8 through 9. So, we've talked a lot about what self-pity has turning us inside of us. So, um, I'm... Yes. 4, 8 through 9. So, I'm sharing my favorite verse that really helped me walk out of self-pity. Like, this is crucial for me. Yo, I got it. Can you read it for me, please? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble... Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Awesome. So, when I was wrestling with this, I realized almost all of my thoughts were steeped 
and self-pity. And I was like, I don't know what to think about. And God's like, great, turn here. Whatever is true, whatever is lovely. Like, I wrote it down. Guys, this was a huge battle in my mind. I had to take every single thought captive, and I had to compare it to this list and say, is this true? Is this just? Is this honest? Is this pure? And if it wasn't, I'd be like, all right. And I had to learn how to recognize self-pity because it was so ingrained. You have to recognize it. But this is the perfect place to start. Is your conversation steeped in this? Or is it steeped in junk? You can feel the difference. Like, you know. Deep down, you know. (laughs) When conversation is good and when it isn't. Mm -hmm. When your thoughts are good and when they aren't. Like, we know. But sometimes we just got to have that extra push that we have to push ourselves and say, all right, I'm going to put a stop to this, and I'm going to think about this instead. So that's, like, my verse that I just encourage you guys, or my verses of, like, let's do it. Like, you got to walk out of it. you got to be active in walking it out because self-pity is not a one and done. It'll come back. Because yes. every situation, it's there. It's like, I'm waiting to see if they're going to fall, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to wallow, and it's going to be good for me. And it's going to be awful for them, and that's what I want. That's what it wants. That's what it wants. Mm-hmm. So that kind of leads us into walk out. How do we get out of this stuff? I don't get out of here. But I did want to say one more thing about um, community. Our role as a community, as IDH, is to bring the kingdom down to earth. And we have, to, and we're also tasked with praising God. Like, two main things. That's awesome. We can't do that if we're in self-pity. We can't do that if we're all consumed with self-pity and dealing with each other and the hurts and, the, like, all of the instances we've got going on. So, like, if we come together and make, you know, pursuing the kingdom and praising God our priority, self-pity has no place to stand. Because it cannot stand in the presence of praise, which is so good. It's so good. It's so easy to defeat self-pity. You just have to do it. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Okay. So, I have some, my favorite quote of walkout, because it like hits self-pity on the head. It might hurt a little bit, but I don't care. It's good. Um, Rochelle Goodrich says, if you often feel alone, ignored, forgotten, think about this. Closing the door and locking yourself in won't change anything. One thing that I learned about self-pity is if I just sat and let it go on and let it go on, nothing would happen. I would just sit and continue and continue. The ultimate goal of self-pity is nothing. There is no action. You really want someone else to take the reins. But you're just going to sit there because I can't do anything can't do anything like that's the ultimate goal of it so sitting it takes you to isolation it takes you to mopey the poor me like we have like so many amazing examples of like self-pity and like tv and stuff and i love it because i'm like there it is (laughs) it's right there it's right there it's so gross see it closing the door and locking yourself in won't change anything if you want a friend go friend someone (laughs) like not on facebook reach out If you want to hug, go hug someone. Don't sit and wait for someone to read your mind and do it for you. You are in charge of your own happiness. You are in charge of your own success. So if there is something that you are consistently stewing over of like, I wish I had this, see if there's something you actually can do about it. 
One of my favorite examples from a teacher that teaches on this is Mitch Griffin, and he says, when, when you're talking to someone in self-pity, um, it doesn't matter how many solutions you give them, mm-hmm. they're going to, like, give you the excuse of why not. Woo. So, like, he was saying, like... <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was there. I was that yeah, like, oh they're God. just going to... And I've done this, because yeah. poor Matt has had to deal with that. And then all of a sudden he says, I'm done. Nope. Good answer. And I ain't in self-pity about it. So. Yeah, no. It's good. That's why you have to be in community. Because someone can be like, Matt says the best thing to me sometimes when I'm dealing with it. Because he knows my first instinct is to go under it. So I've got to get myself out. Yeah. And that takes it. That's a process. That is me having a battle. And he's got to witness it, which is sometimes not very fun for him, and he does a great job. But sometimes, if he's done, like, four four solutions and I've just, like, completely batted them away, he says, all right, I am, <laughs> I'm hoping I can quote you correctly, the just is the same. Um, he says, I'm done talking to self-pity, but when Savannah wants to come talk to me, I'm open. that he could have done for me. Can you, like, share that in, like, all marriages? Like, but you know what he does? He doesn't say, Savannah, I just can't handle you right now. He says, self-pity is talking through you. I want to talk to my wife. And when my wife is ready to talk to me and she's come back to me, I'm here for her. But I will not placate self-pity. So he is separating me and giving me the freedom to deal with it. And then I can go back to him and say, I'm back. Thank you for waiting. Okay? And sometimes it takes back and forth, you know? And that's all right. How do you come back from that, though? I, you know what's hilarious? Is it's so good because... When he says that, self-pity rises mm-hmm. in me, and it says, oh my gosh, my husband hates me. I cannot believe he's not going to love on me. I just need a hug. I just need this. Like, here's all the things that he shouldn't be doing. And then I realize, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Like, because it rises, that's, like, totally against my personality. Right. It's totally not, it doesn't sound like me. I don't sound like some, like, <laughs> raging bull. Like, you know? <laughs> what it does it rises it immediately inflames of you're not giving me what I want how dare you and that's not me and so sometimes him saying that gets that rise and then I recognize oh there you are yeah let's move on okay so sometimes we have to let it rise and that's when you call out people but in love you have to separate them I'm not saying go every to every single person. You're in self-pity. Like, that's not what I'm saying. We have developed trust. We have given each other authority into speaking to each other's lives when we're in self-pity. I've done the same to him. And it's wonderful. Like, Ron and I, back in years, and Ron, me, and Matt, when we first were learning about self-pity, we would tell each other, you just got the self-pity sweater vest on. Take it off. Ew. Like, you put it on, and it's ugly, and it's gross, and it's not fashionable. (laughs) It's just not good. It's not good. I just broke my necklace. All right. Well. But no, but we got to the point in our relationships with each other where we could look at each other if we were in self-pity and we would just say, ew, 
And like that's how blunt it is. And it was amazing because we knew immediately what that person was saying is, hey, not so good. But we just would look at it and we're like, all right, adjusting, my bad. Like that's the community we need to build up. Because how amazing. How much time can we gain back from self-pity if that's how we're interacting with one another? Of, hey, I love you too much to let you sit there. Because I love you, I'm not going to dance around you, and I'm not going to be afraid of hurting your feelings. I'm going to tell you who you are in God. And I'm going to call you back out of that, of you are a victor. You're not a victim. Stop forgetting who you are. Remember who you are. God made you amazing. You have clothes. You have shoes. Like... You have every breath of your body is a gift of God. Have we thanked him for every single breath that we've given? Mm-hmm. I have time to, I got to catch up. Mm-hmm. So we have t- so many things we can be talking about other than self-pity. Yeah. We have so many things we could be thanking God for other than self-pity. Yeah. Self-pity is the praise that the devil receives. Oh. It gives him the same pleasure. Because he knows that the time that we are spending being so consumed with pity for ourselves, that's time that God's not getting. Okay? I'm going to say that one more Just time. Let it sit. Just let it simmer. <laughs> Just edges snatch. Just clean on. Just sweat. That empath would be, that tension in this room would fly. Woo! <laughs> you guys, there's life and power in the tongue. Yeah. We gotta check ourselves. And we gotta remember our words aren't ours. We have been given them by an amazing Father who is due every single breath in our body. And we should be singing, we should be praising Him, we should be thanking Him, and not spending time complaining about little things that do not matter in the realm of heaven. I can't remember what I said. That's fine. <laughs> Don't dwell on things that are not in the realm of heaven ish. Yeah, yeah, something like that. We have better things to do. We got people to bring healing to. We've got relationships to build with each other. And we have God to worship. Let's do that instead. Let's do it. So I have. um, Facts. Hmm? Oh, just said facts. Yeah. So we need to develop an attitude of gratitude. Defeating self-pity requires action. You cannot sit on your butt and say, Lord, create me an attitude of gratitude. It won't happen. Yeah. It won't happen. And then you'll be like, why didn't you create an attitude of gratitude in me? He's like, you got to do that yourself. I love you. I give you free will. You got to do it. <laughs> Words. I wanted you to choose me because that's more fun. I didn't want a slave. I wanted a relationship. So you got to develop the attitude of gratitude. So one thing I started doing when I was walking out of this, I really got to rush because I'm like, oh, we're only at an hour. You guys okay? No. You good? Thanks. So when I was walking out of this, there was so much self-pity and grumbling and complaining coming out of my mouth. And I had to catch it. So what I started doing, which is kind of lame, but it's, it's, it helped me because that's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Is if I noticed myself saying one negative thing, I said three good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, all right. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. I can't even. I don't know. You guys get the picture with that. <coughs> you know when you're being negative. Mm-hmm. You know when you're giving in to self pity and you're allowing yourself to grumble. Yeah. It is really funny. When someone's spewing about all the bad, they can come up with a list. Alpha Wazoo. Shotgun, this is why I'm bad. 
This is why it's not working out for me. This is why I can't have friends. This is why I can't have good things. I hate that quote. Yeah. Because God is the good Father who gives us every good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't say life was going to be easy. Mm-mm. But he said it's good. And it's abundant. We can live life more abundantly. Let's do that. God is so good, guys. Mm-hmm. And like... I tell you what, life is more fun when you're not in self-pity. Like, the joy that I have, like, I know back in the day I looked joyful. It was a facade. I was exhausted. I was worn out. (laughs) I was too much to handle because it was fake. Monica can attest to that. (laughs) We did not do well. (laughs) You couldn't do it? (laughs) But now I am me. I am authentically presenting myself to you guys. As someone who has dealt with this. As someone, you know, people look at me and they don't say, oh, that's someone who deals with self-pity. But I know where I've come from. Mm -hmm. I know what went down on the surface. I'm telling you guys, this is what I dealt with. This is how bad it was. This is where I'm at now. And I still struggle with it. But I don't want to get thrown over by it. And I feel so strongly about it because I was so overtaken. Because I didn't know. And if I can, like, sharing my testimony can help you guys realize how gross self-pity is and how it comes as, like, this false thing, but it really just wants you to stay where you're at and do nothing, like, I'm so excited to do that because we can all praise together. We can all create this culture that is just one filled with gratefulness towards our Father because He has given me life. Like, I tell you what, it took 10 years of self-pity to take over my life. Sure. Ten years. What's that in the span of eternity? I tell you what. From the day that I realized that God was my father, he has made the days that I've experienced since then feel extra long. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have lived a fuller life. And I think I'm at ten years now of being healed, too, which is sweet. I love it. (laughs) Going on eleven. But, like, the, I tell you what, two years of living this out, my life was more abundant than ten years of suffering. Mm -hmm. God's time doesn't make sense. He is the restorer. And that is so good. That's why it's so much better to not sit in self-pity and to do the hard work of getting out of it, because God will bless you. Because he can't bless sin. I mean... It says a double-minded man is unstable in his all, all of his ways. And when we are sitting in self-pity, we're double-minded because we're saying God's good, but he's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we pray, we're like, God, you're good, but you're not. He's like, all right, which one is it? Yeah. Are you done? Which one is it? Are you done? <laughs> so the attitude of gratitude promotes healing and health in our body naturally because that is how cool God is. So, like, if someone wants to go to Proverbs 13, 12, we're just going to sit in Proverbs because it's the best. That, you got that one? Proverbs 15, 13. Can someone get that for me? Thanks, Cameron. Proverbs 14, 30. If someone can get that for me. I got it. Thank you. And then Proverbs 12, 25. Gotcha. I'm just going to copy them down so just ask And um, you guys can just read them right after each other. So, Noah, you start. Were you first, right? Yeah, I think so. Cool. It doesn't really matter as long as they all get it. <laughs> 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Sweet. Next person. 
Proverbs 
And it doesn't matter. If anybody comes up after me during this teaching and is like, well, my situation, I'll be like, but God. So, just giving you guys, <laughs> don't come to me after this and be like, but this situation is too big for God. And I'm like, just repeat that one more time for me so you can hear it. Roast them. Get them. <laughs> so, don't forget who you are. Self-pity will rob you of your identity. You're a chosen, elect, beloved overcomer who is trained for war. Who better than you to take on life? And then you have God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. You are set. One of one of my favorite quotes that I'll say to myself in like a pep talk as I'm driving to work is I have everything that I need to tackle today. God, you have given me everything that I need to take on today. And some days it takes me a little bit of time to remind that, you know? But that's the, I set up my day and I say, God, thank you for sleep. Thank you for this. Thank you for my husband. Thank you that I have cute clothes to wear. Thank you for that I look (laughs) awesome today. Like, you start your gratitude list to begin the day. And then you said, let's go. Let's do it. We got this. Listen. Make sure you're listening to the right thoughts, the right voices telling you about how your day is going to go. Um, be mindful of what you let in, like words, songs. Yeah. If you're listening to really sad songs all the time, mm-hmm. your countenance will reflect it. Lana Del Rey. I'm it so is wrong. so true. <laughs> oh, that just happened. <laughs> That's why I can't listen to Adele anymore. It's a great <laughs> Some songs are. I'm just saying. When I notice in my life is if I only listen to a certain kind of song and I didn't have songs reminding me of how good God is and how powerful I am, yeah. I became weak. Right. I became a victim. Yeah. So I have to be purposeful of what I allow into my spirit mm-hmm. because it will affect how I view myself and it will affect how I deal with the day. So, like, I listen to black gospel, yes. and I love it. And my mom listened to, like, four songs every morning at 6.30. <laughs> and, like, I was trained that when you were battling, that's what you played. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, <laughs> You know my mom, Nina. I know your mom. I haven't seen your mom in a while, but I know your mom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to do that. That's what I got to do. I need to watch something that makes me laugh. I need to watch something that makes me just bring that joy. Do something for my heart that is happy when I'm coming out of self-pity. Because if I don't, I'll just slip right back in. I have to decide. The best thing you can do when you're in self-pity is even though you don't feel like it, get up and dance. Get up and praise. Get up and like thank God for things. Think of them. Even if you start with something super dumb of like, I have shoes. Think about all the people that don't have shoes, guys. How many shoes do we have? Hmm. How many clothes do we have? Think about people who just one pair of clothes. If not, even that. We have so much, and we consider ourselves a martyr. And we're not. We're not at all. So resist the devil, and he will flee. You got to. You have to stand up. You have to put up that wall. But I tell you what, when you have decided to go against self-pity, he will make it seem like that wall is the hardest thing to pull up in your life. He will be screaming in your ear, I can't believe, like, this so-and-so did this, so-and-so did this. These are the reasons I can't be happy. These are the reasons. It will give you everything that you shouldn't do. But you have to say, but God. 
and you have to raise the drawbridge, and it takes an effort. Like, you, you see me battling in my mind. I close my eyes, and I'm just, like, being grateful, and I'm resisting. And he'll see, like, one sentence will come out, and it's God, and the other sentence will come out, and it's self-pity, and I am fighting. This is an active thing. And then I come out of it, and he's like, glad to have you back. Isn't that an amazing thing to have someone in your life like that? Like, we need to get to the place where we're having community like that. Because we welcome you back. <laughs> that was not good. <laughs> welcome back. Let's just rejoice now. Like, this is awesome. We don't like together. Oh, my God. We love you. So open rebuke is better than secret love. It is terrifying. It is terrifying to address someone in self-pity because you know that they're going to not react well. Yeah. But if your heart is for them, that you just see the self-pity and you're like, I hate the self-pity. I love the person. I know they're having a hard time and I see the self-pity. Sometimes you just got to call them out. There's a skit that Be In Health does that says, it's awesome, it's so good, where someone's wrapped in a blanket. Blanket is self-pity. And they're getting cozy, even cozier. And other people come and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And the person's like, I know. And they get deeper, deeper in the blanket. And this goes on for a few people. And then one person comes and they just say, poor, pitiful, self-pity. Aren't you just having the worst day of your life? Like, it is disrespectful on purpose to self-pity. To self-pity, not the person. Like, the way you call someone out in self-pity in love is you call out self-pity. You do not play around with it. You do not play into that fear of, well, what if I say something wrong? If you're dealing with that, sometimes you should just walk away. I've walked away from conversations because I'm just like, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know that they're still there. Like, self-pity's up. I'm not even going to, you know, and I'll return and I'll check in. And then I'll go again. Yeah. You know, self-pity wants someone to spew. And if it doesn't have anybody to spew to, it'll sit. And it will sit. And then maybe that person, you just pray, God, remember, remind them. Yeah. Remind them. Give them a mind. Like, <laughs> some, one, one thing that someone told me once is change your, your got-tos to get-tos perspective. It's huge. So when someone comes to me sometimes, I think I annoy them a lot of the times, but they'll be like, well, I have to do this. And I'm like, isn't that awesome? You have a job. Yeah. Woo. And you're getting paid. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. It's, you got the weekend. Like, I will just deflect and not give self-pity what it wants, and they get annoyed. But you know what? I'm not playing. And I'm helping remind <laughs> them that there is good in their life. Yeah. But sometimes you have to be like, just cut it out. Mm-hmm. Self-pity is talking, and it's not you. And I love you too much to let you go under that. I also love myself too much, and I'm not going to let myself be manipulated by self-pity. I will not get messy with you, because we good. (laughs) We're good. So, open rebuke, even though it's terrifying. Because I know Matt hates it when I'm in self-pity, because he knows sometimes he... Sometimes I can get myself, and sometimes he's got to lay it on. And it's terrifying. Because he knows I will turn. <laughs> and it will say things. And there's a lot of apologies that have to happen when you come out of something. You're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I apologize when I said when I was hangry. Yeah. Hangry is just an excuse to be.
be angry, so whatever. <laughs> so I want to leave you guys. I want to leave you with one scripture to just encourage you guys. Like, self-pity can be beat. Because look at me. I spent 10 years steeped in that stuff. And look at where I'm at now. My generations are steeped in that stuff. Look at where I'm at now. And it's, it's super cliche, but like, if I can do it, you can too. Yeah. But if I was so consumed that my identity was only in self-pity, and I can come out to you guys today and be like, self-pity is awful. Like, that is so God's goodness. Yeah. And I want that for you. Yeah. So this scripture is really important because, like, I don't know, it's just encouraging. So it's Proverbs, again, 16.3. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts shall be established. I just want to... Commit your works so there's action, and then thoughts will follow along. Sometimes with self-pity, you're like, my mind has to change before I do anything. Mm. Getting up and dancing and wiggling to like your favorite song will produce a reaction in your mind of joy. <laughs> okay? Like, getting up is how you get out of self-pity. You have to get up and out. Yeah. And that's all I have for you guys. But... Before I pray out, I kind of just, Cameron and I have done something awesome today. Well, he's going to do something awesome. I was telling him, like, I was really fired up about this <laughs> teaching, obviously, because it's so good. And I hope it was good. Um, it's good. So good. Good. Um, so. That we talked about people um, constantly coming for prayer for the same situation and not going to God. So I kind of want to do something different tonight for us. Prayer is good. Prayer is so good and God uses it. But tonight, I think the focus should be on God and not our problems. And so what we're going to do is tonight, we're actually not going to be praying for anybody. We are going to have a, another song of worship. And then I want people to go and share testimonies with each other and share how good God has been to you and share something that like, I didn't think that I was going to make it and now I'm here. Like, I just want us to recognize that all of that time that we spent um, really just letting the enemy have his, like, day in the sun, we're taking that back and we're giving God back the attention that he is due and the gratefulness that he is due. Because he is mighty and he is good. And it's not fair to him for us to let tiny things steal his thunder. So that's what we're going to do tonight. And I, I'm not against prayer at all. But I think this is such, like, a perfect time for us to just, like, praise God. Right. Because he is God, and he is so good, and he's done so many amazing things in our life. And that's it. So I'm going to pray us out, and then we'll sing. <laughs> so, Dad, I just thank you so much. Thank you that you helped me get through fear of man and to be bold to speak truth, um, no matter how blunt it felt like it was. Um, I just thank you so much for how far I've come in self-pity and how far I'm going to continue to go. And I just thank you so much that we are going to, like, as a community, rise up and declare war on self-pity and that it has no place here. And so I'm just so grateful for you and for your discernment and for your conviction tonight that we are going to start developing the attitude of gratitude because you are worthy of it. You're worthy of it all, and we are so grateful. So I just praise you, and I thank you for being a wonderful, loving dad who's good and wants good for us, that even though we're going to go through things that give us strength, that it's good. 
and it's so much better for us. Like, I'm so grateful that I have walked out of self-pity. It was hard. I'm so grateful I'm on the other side. So, Dad, we just invite you, and we just thank you for everything you're doing and will continue to do. Amen. Amen.